The reading today is from Matthew 5, verses 1 to 16. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I was speaking to a younger person who'd experienced a level of suffering that I think would have challenged the most convicted Christian. And uh, they said to me, they'd given up hope. Uh, When I asked them what they meant by that, uh, they gave me an answer I did not expect. Uh, They said it was easier for them to stop hoping, to stop praying, that their hard circumstances would uh, one day pass because they found that hoping for a different future was making them ungrateful for the present they had. So instead of being resentful that life was hard and uh, their hopes and prayers were not being fulfilled, they could be thankful for the grass under their feet and the sun on their back, the chocolate in their mouths. Uh, and they can enjoy the day that they've been given rather than regret the days they've not been allowed to have. Now, I mention this story because uh, it is one of the strongest decisions for trust and praise of God that I've heard for a while, but also because it was to people like this that Jesus first talked at length. In chapter Four of Matthew's gospel, we read, uh, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and illness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases and those suffering severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now, we know it was these crowds who heard him because Matthew comments at the end of his teaching, 
chapter 7, verse 28, when Jesus had finished these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So Jesus, in his first extensive teaching, was teaching a multicultural, multiracial, multi-faith crowd from all classes of society. People from the cities, people from the countries. We know that illness doesn't respect social status or income. And they were all there. Galilee was full of Greek cities and Hebrew cities and Roman cities. We know this. But all these people came together to follow him because they had one thing in common. They were broken. Uh, there was a desperation about them. Uh, they were following this man out into the wilderness to hear and to be healed. And if you're thinking, well, this healing stuff is nonsense, well, it's time for you, I think, to be skeptical about your skepticism because it does not stack up historically. You cannot explain the rise of Christianity without taking the claims for healings seriously. And if you want to read a skeptic about that, then read Edward Gibbon's Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire. But more, Jesus' enemies at the time had to admit that basically stuff was going down. And when we read the critics of Christianity from its early days, we see they don't deny the healings because they couldn't. There was just too many people who had been affected, too many witnesses, too many families that owed their own ongoing existence to the fact that Jesus had healed people. Instead, what they did do uh, was they, they span the healings. So they, they said things like it was really linked to evil, that Jesus was deceiving, uh, it was magic or, or, or it was from the devil or it was witchcraft, it was sorcery, that sort of thing. So... If we take Matthew's biography of Jesus' life as an accurate report of what was going on, what Matthew is saying is that basically the tree of life himself from Genesis 2 left paradise and walked around in a dying world healing anyone he came into contact with. Now, there have been periods of great healing and revival in the life and the history of the church. There are gifts of healing that are given to us even today, but there's never been anything like this. This was wild. This was out of control. And for three years of our mottled history, God in his son touched people and said to them, be what you were made to be. And they were, which is what makes Jesus' teaching to these crowds of desperate humanity so profoundly interesting. He stops healing, in order to say to them, blessed are you poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed. The word blessed, we're about to encounter again when we return to our series on James, because James in chapter 5 calls Job, of all people, blessed, happy. Now, blessed, sometimes we do translate that in our modern translations as happy, and the ancients, by happiness, the ancients didn't mean uh, an emotional state. They meant more something like we've fulfilled our purpose, we've kept our integrity, we've maintained our faith, we've, we've lived for truth, we've been courageous, uh, we've had a meaningful life in spite of everything we've faced. And for the ancient world, that was a blessed life, a, a happy life an approved life. 
So in Jesus and James, to be blessed means to, in some sense, be fulfilled. More than that, it means to be approved, accepted, supported, known, and honored by God. To be poor in spirit, then, is to know our need before God. David, when he was speaking to us just a couple of weeks ago uh, from St. Andrew's Hall, told us our problem is that we tend to be middle class in spirit rather than poor. We we tend to be self-sufficient before God and each other. But Jesus' first words in his first recorded sermon is that God gives his kingdom away to people who know their need, who cry out to him for God, like the mixed and damaged crowds that were before him. Happy are you. Approved are you. Blessed are you. The kingdom. And blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. The grief here is over the things that grieve God. It is one of the costs, I think, of becoming a disciple of Jesus that we become more sensitive to the things in ourselves and in our world over which God grieves. Now, recently I I realized that the word for comfort that's uh, used here in, in Matthew 5 means literally to have someone draw alongside you. So to be happy, to be blessed, to be approved and accepted by God are those who mourn. What grieves God in our fallen? And that includes death and all separate. Blessed are you because God himself will draw alongside you as your comfort. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, we, we think the meek are the weak, but in the Bible, the meek are the fierce and the resilient. Now, I first trained as a scientist. I trained uh, to be meek before evidence, before truth, to follow evidence where it may lead us. And in good science, that required patience and nuance and, and, and testing of ideas against the data. You went where the data led you. But somebody committed to truth-seeking is not therefore weak just because they're meek before truth. In fact, they're, they're the opposite. And some of the fiercest people of the Bible are called meek before God, people like Moses or David, warriors who, in humbling themselves before God, could then stare down kingdoms and empires. The prophet Isaiah wrote, these are the ones that I look on with favor. Those who humble in heart and tremble at my word. So the earth is for those who are meek before God. And blessed, says Jesus, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, often we're looking for inspiration, aren't we, in uh, our life with God because we, we, we feel empty. So, so we go looking for encouraging speakers or engaging conferences or helpful, useful books to boost our spiritual lives. Well, here is what the founder of Christianity says we should pursue if we want to be filled with the experience of God. We are to pursue righteousness, he says, as if it were our food and drink, as if it was the thing that we needed to keep us alive. Righteousness, or to use an older fashioned word, holiness, 
Now, just imagine if every follower of Jesus in Melbourne tomorrow made the pursuit of obedience to God and his words their food and drink. Tomorrow, Melbourne was suddenly dotted with another old-fashioned word, saints, prayer warriors, martyrs, disregarding their careers and the temptations around them, hungering for holiness, for what is right. Well, Jesus says they'll be filled. He promises they'll be filled. And blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I love how wise this is. In our hunger and thirst for righteousness, we're not to to leave mercy aside. We're not to become Pharisees, legalists, the worst kind of religious people. No. As James said in his letter as well, the place where righteousness grows is actually in the soil of mercy. That's where it happens. Holiness lives with mercy or we become self-condemned hypocrites. And God links the mercy we show to the mercy he will give us. And that's a theme, isn't it, of much of Jesus teaching the measure we give is the measure we will receive. And blessed are the pure, he says, for they shall see God. It's it's literally the word clean he uses here. Now, in our time of resilience training and mindfulness techniques and Technology detox, where we've finally recognized that multitasking is a myth, even for women. It's good for us to hear this word. To be pure of heart is to want one thing. There's a simplicity of heart, a clarity of mind and soul and hands uh, that Jesus is laying before us here. And this purity is not a mania, an anxious Religious fanaticism, as I said, it's literally clean, it's quiet, it's at peace, but it's focused. It's the growing realisation that the true goal of each of our longings is actually God. Jesus says to the crowds, if you want this one thing, God, you shall not be disappointed. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, this is not a false peace or peace at any price or peace by ignoring the issues. This is the hard-won peace of reconciling wrongs or dealing with the issues of paying the price of injustice, of, of, of counting the cost. Uh, when, when, when God in Jesus has to bring peace into this world to reconcile humanity to its creator, we realise that this is a costly kind of peace. And when we pursue that kind of peace in the relationships around us, we're blessed. We're happy. We are approved by God because we are being like him. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But when we follow Jesus, he warns that as we hunger and thirst for what is right, we will be hated. Now, the Apostle Paul put it later in his uh, second letter to Timothy. uh, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So what is the reward? What is the effect? What is the gain, the approval God gives to those who are persecuted like this? Well, it's the same as for those who are poor in spirit. They're given the kingdom of heaven. 
And Jesus tells his followers who suffer like this to rejoice, for the reward is great in heaven. And the prophets before you were persecuted in just the same way, so now you know you're in good company. So, the founder of Christianity in his first lengthy public teaching has described for us the character of people who follow him, people who are blessed, happy, purposeful, approved, held by God. And it's radical. Uh, It's not tame, is it? It's not a lame life that Jesus has described, but nor is it an unreal life. It's not a hyper-religious, unobtainable spirituality and discipline. That's beyond us. This is a life for the crowds before him who simply know their need. It's a life for people who can see themselves, a life for people who grow in experiencing the help and the strength of God in their daily lives who then grow in conviction and courage because it'll take some guts to follow this Jesus, won't it? And what's the effect? What's the effect of living a life like this? Well, Jesus tells us it's mission. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Salt, the ancient preservative. People with the character that Jesus uh, describes uh, preserve society. They stop the rot, light, people with the character that Jesus describes give a direction to society. And I've got to admit, I prefer programs. I prefer courses, I think. I certainly prefer books uh, because they're much more containable and they're much more doable. Uh, you kind of tick it off the to-do list. Yeah, we've, we've done the Alpha course this year at church. But the founder of the church has just taught us that what impacts the world is God's work in our lives. And that's much less comfortable. But, but according to Jesus, it's much more blessed and much, much more effective in mission and in changing. So I want to finish with the story I began with about a young believer who's given up hope. I want to say to you, sorry, your Lord says that your final future is full of hope. The Lord Jesus says to your broken heart, in your need, his kingdom is yours. He says uh, to your present and your future that you will be comforted by the drawing alongside of God himself. He says that you will know visions of God as you long for him. And you will know the approval of God. And it is to faithful people like you, who he will give both the kingdom of heaven and the earth, despite the persecutions and hardships you may know now. And the effect of who you are is profound in all the circles of influence and in the relationships you have. You are sold. You're preserving the people and the relationships around you from decay. You may not feel like it, especially in your suffering, but you are light. How even in your troubles, 
you insist on pointing to God by your trusting. And when Jesus had finished saying all these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he taught one who had 